This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I swear that intro music gets slower every time we do it now. Oh, it started uh, fast and then went slow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what the hell? And suddenly there was like a break in the music and everything went, oh, I, don't, I don't even know any more Streamlabs. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 13 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we sh uh, take you back through ancient history and recent history and the in-between and find examples of complete human stupidity so that you can take lessons from their actions and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We humans, mistakes are fun and content for us, so please keep making them. Uh, joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Got a long weekend and uh, good. enjoying it. So. Yes. Long weekends <laughs> are the best. Um, yeah. We talked about like holidays when you get to a certain age and how important they are, but like long weekend feels like the ultimate gift at a certain point in life you know like as a kid i'd be a bit like oh it's like i'd get a bit bored by the end of them but now i just want like long weekends every weekend <laughs> yeah it, it kind of feels like that's the way it should be i feel like mm. every weekend should be a three-day weekend yeah i, I might I be getting feel... old and lazy i don't know yeah <laughs> no, no no i think and i i agree with that there's a welsh philosopher and i'm gonna forget his name again um <laughs> oh jj hey buddy how are you doing good to have you in the stream so welsh philosopher can't remember his name he said that any society that wasn't doing a four-day working week and a four-hour working day had failed as a civilization oh i like yeah. that guy bertrand russell there is there's his name right all yeah. right he, he was ancient by the time he passed away but um <laughs> he uh, kind of loved the idea of working less and like maybe having a day for the community that you live in maybe having a day for the friends that you know and then two days for yourself and your family and then like three days working maybe something like yeah. that so that's that sounds uh, pretty good yeah exactly <laughs> uh jj uh we're we're pretty good uh thanks i'm glad you're okay as well toasterzoid who are we talking about today well uh, let's get to that. Um, we'll we'll skip past the formalities. We're 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 both doing good. That's the main yep. things. Um, <laughs> but let's, uh, Derek. Who is your idiot this week? Well, have you ever heard of the pimp who crossed Alaska? What? No. <laughs> well, that happened. And holy shit, the dude's got layers. So uh, oh wow, okay. I'll just go with it here. Uh, he's born Charles Eugene. Badeau on October 26th, 1886 in Paris, France. Oh, nice. Okay. He's one of Parisian five kids. Yeah, well, he's a Parisian American eventually. Uh, okay. So, um, 
it's cool too because he kind of links up with somebody that we covered earlier but i'll get into it so charles's dad was a french railroad worker and two of his brothers went on to become engineers but he decided to drop out of school at 16 years old and work a bunch of just menial jobs until he befriended a man by the name of henry ledeau who was already a successful pimp in the Pagal district. Okay. And he took him under the... Successful pimp. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I don't know any unsuccessful pimps. I think the unsuccessful pimps are in prison, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess (laughs) this guy, I don't know how long he was successful then because... Right. um, Well, anyway, Henry took him under his wing and he was off doing his pimping thing. And it was kind of like a mentorship where... He taught Charles the ways of the world, like the importance of proper dress and confidence and mm. a little bit of training on some street fighting. You know, oh, nice. Yeah. You pimps do. <laughs> yes, they, they, they do tend to fight. They often lose if they come up against like law enforcement. But yeah, they're, they're mean bastards. Well, Henry came up against somebody and he was murdered in 1906. Mm. And by February 14th, 1906, Charles Badeau grabbed his oversized pimp hat and bounced on over to the United States. <laughs> Put the feather in it, yep. got his cane, and he was off to the races. Is that, was Yankee Doodle a pimp? Probably, yeah. That that works. <laughs> that Oh my God, we've been lied to this whole time. Um. So in 1914, Charles was uh, working in the United States in the field of uh, work measurement. Mm. And I I hadn't heard too much about that. But Mm. what it is, is it's a a component of scientific management, which is a kind of theory that analyzes and synthesizes workflows. Okay, yeah. It's designed to improve the workflow and increase economic efficiency. But... Well, it all sounds good. If you dive a little bit deeper, scientific management is sometimes known as Taylorism. Right. Frederick Winslow Taylor was the the guy that created, uh, well, shitty working environments in the steel industry here in the 1880s and 1890s in the United States. And the the themes, they still kind of show up today, like the analysis and logic and rationality and uh, empiricism and work Mm. ethic. But then there's also where they they get into the efficiency through elimination of uh, perceived wasteful activities. So, like, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. If, like, get back to work robot type of thing. Um, Yeah, the whole time theft thing, which is just bullshit. Right. So so. that's kind of where this guy became uh, legitimized from being a pimp to being... A consultant. Um, yeah. The the weird thing about his method was that it kind of had a disdain for the traditions of the workers in particular skill sets. So oh. it transformed it from craft production to mass production. And yeah, you find that a lot with industrialization. You know, people who are artisans and, and artists really have their way of working and their traditions completely demolished in for the sake of the production line yeah get it faster yeah Yeah, just get it fast but it's not as good yeah anyway (laughs) um so this charles bado is into scientific management he's got the b system which the bado b system which was adopted by the eastman kodak facilities in the uk in 1924 wow and 
1926, he founded Charles E. Badeau Limited, which was established in his London offices. And he created offices in Italy and Germany doing management consulting and pushing out his method of improving your productivity, you know, raising that bottom line. Um, By 1934, the Badeau system was being used in 21 countries. Wow. Which is a good thing, but it created the need for unions and (laughs) workers' rights. and Yeah. Weekends. Yeah. Uh, the Badeau system was introduced at the Campbell's Soup in 1927, and that's where the B standards caused a ton of uh, shop floor battles between management and the laborers, and they lasted for years. Mm. And in 1929, the Taylor Society, who is basically the guy that Charles Badeau ripped off his system and just made it even more restrictive and bad, <laughs> um, the textile workers began to strike out against the uh, Badeau system. And they said it was even worse than the old Taylor stopwatch system, which is like, Mm. get it done as fast as you can. How long did it take to produce that one part? Oh, that was too long. You wasted time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Um, God, does that suck? Yeah. (laughs) Textile workers, a lot of like uh, historic uh, labor improvements and stuff like that. We owe anyone who's in a, a union owes an awful lot to textile workers because they have not put up with shit for most of their existence. So bless them for taking that and saying, no, this is worse. We're not having any of it. Strike. And and they did just that. And then the lumber industry followed suit uh, against the systems from 1931 to 1935. And then it came over to the rover plant in Coventry. Yes. And women struck out over the introduction of the Badeau system at Wolsey, yes, Wallacey, yes, that's yeah, that... uh, famous car production. Place, so I guess, as well. his stuff spreading, strikes are happening. People don't like it. Um, it sucked to be a worker and laborer, <laughs> but it's totally good to get people rich off of other people. Well, yeah, <laughs> everyone suffers except the 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 people at the very very top. And uh, as a Welshman, uh, <laughs> our the history of my nation is founded on socialism and striking. So, yeah, we, we have a long and proud tradition of kind of doing that to every industrialist that tries to hire us. So, yeah. See, that's, and that's legit. I, I mean, yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I'm sure you're probably wondering, anybody that's listening still through that rambling mess about Charles Badeau's consulting and being a dick to workers phase, Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, he was a pimp who became a management consultant, which was also like being a pimp. And then he decided, you know, um, I think I want to be an explorer. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Why? Why why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they're they're building this new uh, Canadian Alaskan highway. Right. Yeah. And he he somehow wins out as being one of the explorers that's going to do that survey uh, ahead of creating that highway. Okay. And if if you look at it truly, it was more of a publicity stunt for right. his friend Andrew Citrone, okay, who was testing out some new Citrone half track cars that were being developed hmm. at the time. Uh, 
So in 1934, Charles Badeau sets out on his expedition into the untamed wilderness of Canada and Alaska. And yeah. it kind of starts out just the same way you would think that a, a, an exploration trip by a former pimp would. He sets <laughs> up a crew of limousines. Oh, what? And what the hell? then he brings along those newly invented Citroen half tracks and 130 horses. Right. Yeah. You need horses. Shit goes wrong. Horses will help you every time. Well, they do come in handy here. Watch this. Um, he loaded <laughs> his convoy down with essentials like caviar and champagne. And um, obviously, an endeavor like this needs to be documented. So he brought sure. an entire film crew along so that they could uh, film the, the, the movie of the adventure <laughs> while it was happening. And then, of course, he brought his scientific surveyors because well, that's what it was supposed to be for in the first well, place. Exactly. That's like they should have been top priority. I think over the film crew and the limos and the champagne so, and caviar. Yeah. What the fuck? Eh. Anyway, so Charles was out on this trip and he didn't want to get lonely amongst all those people. So he brought mm. along his wife, a butler, a valet, a maid in waiting and... <laughs> His mistress, because what could possibly go wrong when you're spending months in the wilderness with your wife and your side chick? Uh, uh, this guy, I'm starting to suspect. By the way, your camera seems to be frozen. I just, I just wanted. Oh to no! Yeah, uh, I, I just there's something about the arrogance of. I, I, he sounds a little bit like you think of any modern day industrialist i'm not going to name any names they're super litigious but you know who they are they're famous <laughs> they own huge companies um you think of any famous um industrialist anywhere in the world they tend to have quite an ego and they think they can get away with certain types of behavior that i think the rest of us would probably end up in prison for and this guy sounds so deluded in his success that actually he he thinks he can just do whatever the hell he wants. Bring his mistress along, caviar and champagne as he's driving to Alaska. It's the most crazy, ridiculous aspect of this whole thing so far. I understand, like, he's a pimp. He invents a thing. It's wildly successful. That's fine. But surely if you have all that money, you bring along experts in the field and uh, the best possible people for the job, right? Yeah. You would think yeah. that would be the what you would want to do. I would think. I don't know if my camera's coming back. I think I'm just going to be a talking orb. You can be a talking one. orb for a while. That's <laughs> fine. I'll be expressive with my facials. I feel like Hal from <laughs> Space. <laughs> um, sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs> so, uh, yes, we seem to have lost Derek for a second. Don't worry. He will be back. Um, everything seems to have gone off. Just, I, can, I can oh I've just realized I can edit his name don't think I'll be doing that too broken or anything like that but yeah uh, just going to the comments as well I think it's half ego and half I have the money so why don't uh, why the hell not I kind of get that toastazoid um, I think that's a good point I think when you have so much money you can just do whatever the hell you want but like it's one of those it's a dangerous expedition you should really be bringing along the best people for the job in every circumstance, really. Um, Derek, you're back. Um, but yeah, yeah new also... camera next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a little, a little 
uh, capricious, this this webcam, but it's fine. You're back. So carry on. Sorry. Where were you? Um, well, he's off into the wilderness, going towards Alaska with his wife and his mistress, all cramped into the same tight quarters. And things wow. go to hell almost immediately. The expedition that uh, a lot of people refer to as the Champagne Safari, which is cool mm. as hell. Um, yeah. The horses kept getting bogged down in the mud. And yeah. then the half tracks kept getting bogged down and malfunctioning. And then, you know, he he gets his management consulting out and hmm. nope, he uses his pimp logic. He decided, <laughs> let's take this surveying equipment and uh, set that aside so we can have some more room for ballroom attire and caviar what? and more champagne. What? And then... Let's not leave those half tracks stuck in the mud. Somebody might find them. Uh, hmm. Let's get the film crew together and let's dump these sons of bitches over a cliff and, and let's blow one up and film it. Whoa. Because <laughs> why? That's, that's how you abandon vehicles when you're a pimp. Okay. I think. I think. <laughs> anyway, so the expedition is stopped by heavy snow uh, about 15 days from the destination. And he says, fuck it. That's close enough. Uh, we we win and then he heads home so um there was some speculation that this badeau excursion or champagne safari was part of a nazi plan to build a highway that would allow access through north america wow and that kind of comes around because charles badeau tried to cozy up with both the axi the axis and the ally powers and oh, he was eventually imprisoned for espionage. Good. And you're like, oh, how, how'd that happen? Well, um, you know, in I think it was like episode eight of season one, we covered mm. the abdicator king. Yeah. And he flew over to Norway well, or somewhere or tried well, to. In 1927, Charles Badeau uh, purchased a 16th century Chateau de... Can Canday in France. Uh, okay. I suck with French stuff. And on June 3rd, 1937, Charles and Fern Pat Beto hosted the wedding of Wallace Simpson and Prince Edward, Duke of Windsor. Oh, wow. So he's friends with Edward and, and Wallace. And Which, yeah. He he kind of kicked out this idea that it would be fun to go visit uh some friends in Germany. Oh. And he arranged the couple's visit where they met with Adolf Hitler and went on right. the tour and were greeted by the SS band and all of that stuff. Um, so the next stage of that trip was supposed to be over to the United States. Right. After they were there. But it was canceled because of labor union press and public outrage of Badeau's involvement because he's a dick. So yeah. <laughs> it's quickly demonized in the media around the globe and um, the Baltimore Federation of Labor publicly attacked the emissaries of dictatorships or uninformed sentimentalists that called Badeau's system. Oh, and called Badeau's system a, vi a vicious adaptation of the Taylor system. So everybody yeah. is outraged that this guy's even involved. And then Edward and Wallace don't even come over here on their tour, I guess. But I thought yeah. they did down in Florida. Um, yeah, maybe it was cut short, potentially. Um, the Royals have a history of doing that whenever they get bad press. They're just like, peace out. See ya. Well, <laughs> yeah. The Balmoral or something. And so from then on, the Badeau system is linked with fascism and the Nazis and mm. Taylor 
and his remaining supporters kind of separate themselves. The Taylor Society disowns uh, Charles Badeau and the Badeau system. And a lot of the employers over here in the United States that were using it uh, changed the terminology and made it more neutral and administrative with the language so that, you know, it wasn't fascist. But that that (laughs) brings us to Charlie the Pimp's complex relationships with the Axis and Allied powers. Mm. Um, After the surrender of France in uh, 1940, Mm -hmm. Badeau became tight with some of the leading Nazi and uh, I feel like I should know this word. Vichy? Yeah. Vichy regime, yeah. And he was appointed the economic advisor to the Vichy regime and the Reich. And his wife, Fern, and her sister were actually uh, caught and interned briefly in Paris, but they were let go because of his connection and so work with that. Uh. And in 1941, he got the opportunity to experiment with the, his political economic thing, but equivalism uh, ec- ec- okay. is, is what he went after. But it didn't last long. It was just May through June. Okay. And a violent coal strike busted out in the Nord and... Pas de Calis in occupied nice. France. Um, I totally lost where I am. I think I skipped ahead pages. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Charles Beddoe's a dick. Yeah. He's hanging out with the Nazis. And by yeah. the end of 1942, um, yeah, he, oh, dang it. I did skip up ahead. Oh, he's under investigation by the FBI and MI5 by the end of 1942. And in December of 1942, um, he tried to get involved with the Allied military landings in North Africa, and they already had a thick file on him, so they kept him at a distance. <laughs> yeah, because of his relationships with the Nazi Party officials. Um, well, yeah, he could be an agent at this point. They could have turned him. They haven't been able to find any records that he was actually linked to any high echelon stuff, but he was still arrested by the French on behalf of the OSS and transferred mm-hmm. over here to the United States, um, where. While he was awaiting charges of treason and concern with the enemy, he committed suicide by overdosing on barbiturates in wow. uh, Dade County Prison in Miami, Florida. Oh, wow. Hmm. Hmm. Where, yeah. where? <laughs> that sounds familiar. Um, um, so that's Charles Badeau, the pimp who crossed wow. Alaska. Kind of he... shocking. You know, when you said the pimp who crossed Alaska, uh, cross, crossed Alaska, that's, that's the way to say that. Um, I thought it was going to be a reasonably straightforward, weird tale, but this was a, a very multifaceted man. Um, oh, layers and layers. Yeah, who influenced the world economically and in terms of production methods and things like that. And I, I guarantee, and this is typical of anything that works, if it's linked with a horrible regime or or system of government, but it works, people take that system and they just like gloss over it with a bit of paint and call it something else, you know, and use it. So I'm not surprised the um, elements of his working methods have probably uh, been used for the last, you know, 70 years or so. Uh, Charles was looking for the last son's, the, the last son's fortress in Alaska. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's uh, sorry. That's a, a monument mythos reference. Um, so I feel like, um, He's clearly he became a pimp, but he actually had quite a lot of influence. He was clearly good at like using his power and influence to get in with certain circles, but the people he chose 
were the worst human beings alive for some of it, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. I well, and I just I don't like the way that he changed um I don't know. People are not craftsmen anymore. A lot of people that mm. are tradesmen know how to do the the work. But, oh no, I froze again. <laughs> I didn't even move. Uh, um, I know. I know. But I feel like it's 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 reduced the quality and and increased poor working conditions mm-hmm. his system has yeah. in the sake of chasing, you know, uh, what he thought was good things. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because if we look back at the recent evolution of workplaces um in in kind of more in the 21st century. Um and, and Derek will be back in a second. Um I think we find that um you know that Bado system and the other one that's kind of gone out of favor because you have people like Google and Facebook and and all these organizations that and Apple that try and keep people on campus as long as possible, but they make their working lives as interesting and easy as possible. Um, so, yeah, I think um, his system, hey, Derek, Sorry. I think his system is is on its way out because of the new working methods of um, Apple and Google and, and people who, who kind of empower their employees to enjoy um uh as much as work as possible but i do think it's got its legacy is still there in places like amazon right yeah. i'm i feel like his system works if uh the workers are robots exactly yeah if you are an automated production line it's perfect exactly you can't <laughs> do that with human beings you need to give them breaks and money and treat them with with respect which unfortunately for the last 70 or 80 years a lot of workforces have forgotten that human beings are complex creatures and we need rest we need breaks we need uh we need to feel enthralled by our work to do it you know and otherwise the quality of the work suffers that's why three or four day working weeks may end up increasing productivity because people aren't burnt out by the middle of the week you know they're they're still raring to go it's funny because even in my day job, when I hit a certain amount of work and hours, I stop yeah. being able to like function. Yeah. I sit there just staring, trying to remember what I was doing. Like, <laughs> how do I make? <laughs> I, I'm gonna make myself do this next step. I don't wanna, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna look up something that um, there's there's a saying that French winemakers have, and it's something that. Um, I know uh, I can't find the original French version of it, but the, their saying is work less, produce more. So I think I may have discussed this before. So they get up whenever the fuck they want. They harvest all of the grapes until they're done and then they stop. And their their idea is if you tell someone they have to work from nine to five and you give them bits of work, they'll stretch that shit out from nine to five. Whereas if you tell them this is all you've got to do today, they will blast through that in like three hours, four hours. The rest of the time, the and, and the French wine workers will take a two-hour lunch. They will have conversations. They'll stop after they finish work. They will um, go out as, as a group. And then the workers will go home to their families earlier, kind of like maybe 2.33, something like that, and and just like relax and spend time with their families, get home when the kids are coming home from school, it's, it's it's a really nice way of living. It, really. Yeah, and I kind of I kind of had the opportunity to do something like that when I was pipe fitting and running gas plumbing. 
because I was working on piecework. So they'd give me how many jobs I had to do for the week to get paid. And I would do, you know, two or three jobs this day, one job that day, and I'd spread it out. And usually I was home by like noon every day. I was trying to work the least amount of hours and get it all done. And I did it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And that kind of work is joyous because yes. you are in control of what you do and when you do it and that's that's one of the keys to success if you are a cog in a machine the work is going to be shit also so in terms of scoring this guy i've kind of gone off track on like labor practices and stuff like that <laughs> sorry it's a socialist in me uh, <laughs> so um i think scoring this guy i mean obviously nobody died um <laughs> we're not 100 percent sure he treated people like shit yeah and I mean, pretty much anyone who treats people like shit is going to end up in prison or being incredibly wealthy. So in this world, so basically, um, he he worked the, his way to the top by being a sociopath, and that's how a lot of people get ahead in business these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for that, and like his his reckless disregard for like people's feelings, like bringing his fucking wife and mistress along, yeah, um, and cozying up to Hitler and introducing work practices that have made people miserable for decades as they've been adapted to increase productivity and make companies as much money as possible. I'm going to give him an 83. Oh, that's way um, fair. I'll take that. Yeah. I just wanted I feel... to talk about blowing up the Citron track vehicles and filming it. Oh, yeah. That's... That would have been that. That <laughs> I would like to see. <laughs> I would like to see that footage. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Blow it up. We'll film it. Maybe we'll sell the rights to Howard Hughes or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I kind of... You know, there, there are aspects of his brava, uh, braggadocious personality that I, I, I kind of feel like it, it's interesting, but his overall personality is that of a dick, yes. basically. Yep. Um, yeah. And now, moving from one dick to another, um, <laughs> I would like to introduce my subject for today, and I'm going to start off by showing a slide, and I apologize to anyone who's listening to this in a podcast form afterwards. If you go over to YouTube and look for History's Greatest Idiots, you can watch our podcasts as videos. Um, I just want to show you slide, the person I'll be covering today. And I want you to pay particularly close attention to this man's forehead. Okay. That is from what's called gig marks, where he has, uh, as a wrestler, this person has used razor blades to draw blood. Uh, unfortunately, because this person was involved in particularly gruesome hardcore matches, it wasn't always razor blades. Sometimes it was knives. Um, so, it, so that on his forehead is all cartilage. It kind of looks like if I were to describe that, I'd say like it's like a scarred butthole right in the middle of his forehead. Basically, yes. And a lot of wrestlers have foreheads like that, but not all of them were like that. And also, I just want you to, this is a random little thing. Pay close attention to the knuckles on his left hand, which look normal, and then look at the knuckles on his right hand. Uh huh. Uh huh. They yeah, don't they're... appear to be any, do they? They're yeah, much softer, less defined. Yeah. Uh, that's because he's broken them all. Um, kind of see a ridge. That, like I guess I can't point to it, but um, like along his pinky, you can see a ridge where it looks like you don't. The finger doesn't even connect to the palm. Okay. Basically, yeah. His 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 entire hand at that point in his life was fucked up. So 
now that you've seen the subject of this interview, and I wish I could play the interviews for you, but my God, I can't find any interviews that we can actually play in this podcast because he's like, uh, you're going to find, and he does actually have a lot of kind of interesting similarities. He's like Rick James, if Rick James was ultra violent. So, okay. Yeah. Let me introduce you to the life and times of uh, New Jack. ECW wrestling legend. Um, I want to, uh, before I get going on this, I want to give a big thank you to Javier Ogest or Oust of Pro Wrestling Stories, who sourced uh, and wrote this kind of amazing article, which I've taken like 75% of the information from. So, Jerome New Jack Young was born on January 3rd, 1963, in Greensboro, North Carolina. In 1968, when he was five years old, he and his siblings witnessed his father stab his mother multiple times after he found out she had been cheating on him with other men. I guess that's yeah. one way to go. Yeah, that's ooh, that's the 1960s in kind of Good suburbs Lord. of Greensboro. You, yeah, I guess it's a rough upbringing, to say no the least. trauma there. No trauma there, and it gets more terrifying. Five months later, um, New Jack's father shot his mother in the leg uh, when she tried to leave and take Young with her. His father died of a heart attack later in the year. He and his mother moved frequently across Georgia, usually trying to stay one step ahead um, of landlords seeking to evict them uh, because they had no money wow. and they were just trying to get away from... Right. I, I guess just get a, as far away from his father as possible, really, because this guy... Is, it, it's no stabbing and shooting people, stabbing and shooting people. He was physically abusive to all of the children, so that's New Jack's start in life. That's and a rough one, grinding poverty as well. Like they had nothing. Um, he attended various schools before finally graduating from DM Therrell High School in Atlanta. While there, Young had a measure of success in football, which led to him attending Clark Atlanta University. Uh, no no idea if he graduated or not. Just says he attended. Doesn't say if he dropped out. But he, he, was he played there. football at a university level. And actually, looking at New Jack, if you ever see him, he's kind of the perfect stature as a, of a defensive uh, guy. Okay. He's about six foot three, um, quite wide, but also like got quite a good base. Like he's got quite, you, he, you never see his legs, but he's got quite thick legs okay. as well. So he's got like a good solid base to him. Um, Young and his friends began robbing local stores such as gas stations, sporting goods stores, and jewelry stores so that they could make money. He spent two years in prison for aggravated robbery, and after his release, he worked briefly as a truck driver before spending the next decade as a bounty hunter. Okay. Yeah. Well, God. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, uh, he's like in his late teens at this point, maybe at like early 20s um as a bounty hunter this is the the part that was brought up in uh, a really interesting documentary new jack has four justifiable homicides to his name man um, sounds like a cop yeah uh but this is a bit different apparently four because he was hunting one guy and the guy and three of his buddies cornered new jack and uh while he was trying to arrest the guy and and take him in for the bounty things got crazy and he killed them all Oops. Um, yeah, um, he talks about it in the legendary wrestling documentary Beyond the Mat, which is about 25 years old now. Um, and he says, I'm not proud of it, but it was me or them. 
So, and he, it's like super matter of fact. Like he's like, yeah, it happened. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but it was me or them. So, well, I mean, I he's not wrong, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, four guys, one of them you're trying to bring in a bounty. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, they might beat you to death. So he took the possibility of that out of their hands by stabbing them all a lot. He's he yeah, killed he, he four people them. by stabbing? Stabbing them, yeah. This is going to be a theme with New Jack. You saw his forehead. Oh. The man likes blades, and Ooh. it's going to come back. I more bet you I know more. where that came from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Young decided to get into wrestling after basically escaping death as a bounty hunter for a long time, and under Ray Candy, uh, trained before debuting in 1992 in Jerry the King Lawler's Memphis, Tennessee-based United States Wrestling Association, the USWA, for any wrestling fans out there, where he adopted the ring name New Jack, inspired by the awesome 1991 film <laughs> New Jack City. Uh, has he killed a man with a pencil? Uh, no, but he... Well, maybe. We don't know. He stabbed <laughs> them to death. It could have been a pencil. Um uh. In June 1993, he won his first championship, the USWA World Tag Team Championship, with his partner, Homeboy, uh, defeating Simply Divine and holding the title for two weeks before losing to C.W. Bergstrom and Melvin Penrod Jr. He remained with the company until the end of the summer. Then he moved to North Georgia Championship, uh, North Georgia Wrestling Association, sorry, which is a very small regional promotion. Um, after leaving Memphis, um, he won uh, the NGWA World Heavyweight Championship in early 1994. He also paired with former WCW enhancement talent Mustafa Saeed and formed the Gangsters Tag Team, winning the Tag Team Championships in 1994, but quickly vacated them as they left the territory for the second biggest independent promotion uh, wrestling promotion in uh, the United States at the time, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, run by okay. Jim Cornette and secretly financed by legendary record producer and Def Jam Records co-founder Rick Rubin. Oh, who, he just pumped money into this place, and Smoky Mountain Wrestling never made money. Uh, never drew more than about three or four hundred people, really, and it was very old style, nineteen sixties wrestling. Kind of good, good guys, bad guys, kind of very simplistic storylines. But this is like 1994, so no one's coming to see this shit at this point in time. Okay. Uh, New Jack and the Gangsters made their name working in this territory. Jim Cornette, who was the booker and owner of the corporate of the organization, admits that he was immediately impressed with the intimidating image New Jack portrayed. To me, wrestling has always been, can you make me believe you are the person you are purported to be? And New Jack, New Jack had that from the start, Cornette said. He continues, there never should be any discernible difference between a guy's gimmick and a guy in real life. Just turn the volume up and you've got a successful gimmick. Unfortunately, New Jack had to turn the volume down when he was wrestling. What? Yeah, God, that guy's that crazy He's and violent? so fucking violent and crazy. When he was portraying New Jack, he turned it down. I, I cannot even tell you how many stories there are of New Jack trying to and successfully fighting people backstage at wrestling. Other wrestlers, just like... Just he he tried to beat up Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is seven foot tall 
and fucking huge. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm going to fight Kevin Nash. I'm like, are you out of your mind? He will bounce your head off the floor. But he was like, no, I've got an knife. I'll be fine. Um, and uh, sorry, go on. Was it a pencil? No. It could, it could well have been. It could well have been. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, New Jack was a bit intense. New Jack, Mustafa Saeed, uh, D'Lo Brown, or the future D'Lo Brown, who went on to WWE fame in the Attitude Era, and Killer Kyle, terrible name, formed the black militant heel faction called the New Jack Syndicate, which is kind of a cool name, but they later just dropped it and called themselves the Gangsters, just straightforward really uh they they were built from south central los angeles or oakland california and often pitted against the veteran southern babyface tag team the rock and roll express comprised of an aging ricky morton and robert gibson who if you look at pictures of them from the time they look like um basically any hair metal band only quite ugly much smaller (laughs) And like we just they look fucked up, but they were super popular. So uh, anyone that went up against them immediately got over. Um, eventually, the gangsters um, dropped D'Lo and Killer Kyle, and eventually, and uh, were more focused <laughs> on New Jack and Side Killer Kyle. What a fucking name! Uh, and New Jack quickly became the abrasive mouth mouthpiece that instigated the SMW fans to a boiling point. They became so controversial that they often found themselves being arrested by the police. There were pickets of protest even formed outside of arenas, prompting the promotion to have a disclaimer on TV screens saying, the views of the gangsters are not those of Smoky Mountain Wrestling or this station. That's how He dropped the <laughs> N-word like every other word. <laughs> to be was... fair, they played that same disclaimer before my morning show when I did radio. So, Yeah. You and you, Jack. <laughs> I, I wasn't violent or mean. They no, just, you uh, don't have four no. justifiable homicides to your name, thankfully. Um, so the uh, this got so bad that the NAACP got involved and repu- repudiated the gangsters' actions. New Jack, who gives like minus five bucks about anything <laughs> in life, immediately cut a promo uh, on them on television. A vicious promo, dropped the N bomb multiple times dropped homophobic slurs uh this guy did not care and i don't know how they stayed on air but it was the 90s it was a regional station i guess you can get away with shit like that but apparently well, yeah yeah i think yeah <laughs> so he, i don't he's, know <laughs> he's pissing off the naacp but it, it gets even more intense according to fellow wrestler tracy smothers the heat they generated was so formidable in places like Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia that the gangsters were unwelcome in many cities. And KKK Klansmen, who also worked as police officers, wanted to stop their shows entirely and sent bomb threats to the arenas, specifically aimed at New Jack. He pissed wow. off the KKK and didn't care. He was just like, fuck it. I'll stab him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> give me that pencil. Um, <laughs> Tracy Smothers says, I just, uh, uh, no, sorry, this is Jim Cornette. I just told him to go out there and piss white people off, says Cornette, who many felt was writing the promos for New Jack. But in the small towns, it got all kinds of the wrong heat. It was fucking incredible television. That's all he cares about. He's just ah. like, give me the ratings. Yeah. Once, uh, New Jack lent his sporty Corvette to a wrestler uh, called Balls Mahoney. <laughs> uh, yes, Balls is hilarious. Balls Mahoney is legendary for having the hardest chair shots in TV history. 
he has cracked more skulls than any human being should do. Um, he was called like, Boo Bradley at the time. So yeah, oh. he was hitting people over the head with steel chairs and cracking their skull. Oh. It was it was the thing in the nineties <laughs> before we knew about um, concussion protocols. CTE. Yeah, they would just just crack each other in the head. There's there's a, a famous pay per view around this time where The Rock hits Mick Foley, Mankind, uh, a Royal Rumble event. I think it might be ninety eight or something. The Rock hits Mick Foley in the head with twenty one unprotected chair shots. And um, it's caught on documentary. Mick Foley's wife and children were in the front row to see this, and they had to leave because the kids were screaming. Oh my goodness! Um, and he came through the curtain, and he was um, like, he's just covered in blood, and there's this massive cut on his head that goes right the way back. And he's just like, "Hey, it's okay, Dada's okay. Come on, we're just gonna go and get sewn up now." And he's talking. He's like, "Yeah, you know, The Rock maybe took it too far, but you know, the the people were into it." And uh, really got the emotion going and stuff, and and then like he takes time to like flirt with his wife. He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. <laughs> I, I won't be able to sleep tonight, honey. Maybe you're gonna have to keep me awake." And she's like, "You've got blood all over you." So, <laughs> wrestling's a fucking insane industry, God. but that's one of the reasons I love it. Wow. Um, so back to Balls Mahoney, borrowed New Jack's Corvette, and was stopped almost immediately by the cops and questioned. The Malcolm X plates on the Corvette was probably a giveaway that it was New Jack's car. It's just <laughs> Malcolm X all over his license plate. They told Balls Mahoney to step out of the vehicle and searched him along with it because they were convinced New Jack had drugs on him. He oh. did, but not in the car. Um, New Jack then uh, started arriving at shows in a big rusty van. The tires didn't match. The windows uh, wouldn't go up and down. It was just a piece of shit that people spray painted on. Uh, this was done so that uh, they wouldn't mess up his real car. That's how bad it got. He His car was getting fucking destroyed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sometimes they even had to be escorted to the shows in cop cars for their own safety because people were trying to shoot at them. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the kind of heat that I think maybe crosses a line. Uh, this is too much heat, as, as the phrase maybe. Um, at first, they drew really well. Uh, but then it started hurting, said Tracy Smothers. It got to the point that people got so mad that they didn't want to come to the shows um, because they were so angry with New Jack. They didn't want to watch them uh, get beaten up. They wanted to watch them die. Ooh. So, yeah, that's when New Jack left. He was like, yeah, I've had, even New Jack was like, I think I've had enough of this. Yeah, it's uh, no longer the, the hate watching. Now, Yeah, it's, it's now like a I might die because people think this is real type yeah. of thing which wrestling ain't um so he left and went to ecw extreme championship wrestling over in philadelphia pennsylvania ecw was the absolute antithesis of smoky round smoky mountain wrestling um ecw featured more modern characters it featured insider language use or kayfabe as it's known dark storylines including one storyline where uh, raven uh, stole the Sandman's wife from him by getting her hooked on heroin and brainwashing uh, uh, the Sandman's young son into hating his own father. That's, wow. I know. That storyline culminated with a TV match that the Sandman lost and the end of the match, he was put on a, a wooden board with barbed wire all around him, including his head, and crucified on national television. 
Um, yeah, and um, they talk about it a lot in WWE's ECW uh, documentary, which is amazing, by the way. Uh, the, Stevie Richard and the Blue Meanie were Raven's lackeys, and they were putting the, the unconscious Sandman on the crucifix and putting him up. And Stevie Richard says, I looked at Meanie, and I was like, Meanie, this is fucked up. We're both Catholic. We're going to hell for this. Um, and <laughs> earlier in the show, a, uh, a recently uh olympic gold medal winning kurt angle appeared on the show um he was thinking about getting into pro wrestling at the time because you know the olympic money was drying up and stuff like and that like, nope and yeah nope. he literally says in the documentary he said um he said he turned to paul Heyman and he said i am not joining your organization i do not want my appearance on this television show aired alongside that and if you do, you'll be hearing from my attorneys. And he left. And he didn't sign for a wrestling company for three years after that. That's how put off he was. So that's wow. ECW. Kind of perfect for New Jack, really. See, I feel like I know ECW, and I can't think of the character wrestlers. Like, I can't think of the main yeah. names. It's been a while. You know, it's been over 20 years since it went out of business. Um, but it was revolutionary for its time. It featured incredibly... Uh, it was kind of the nirvana of wrestling. You know, it had to happen because the industry was stuck in this ridiculous place and it created an environment where realistic and edgy storylines could thrive. And as a result, the big two companies, WCW and the WWF at the time, borrowed wholesale from them, including signing a bunch of their wrestlers. And that's where the Attitude Era came from and wrestling's huge success period and the rest is history. But on to ECW where ultraviolet matches and there's more swearing than an entire season of The Sopranos. Um, <laughs> once ECW offered New Jack work, he explicitly told Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon, who were, uh, Paul Heyman was the booker and Todd Gordon was the owner of the company, um, that he would do whatever they wanted um, as far as in the ring went, but that he wasn't going to play the, right, the racist card. He didn't want the trouble up in the north that um he'd had in smw which is smart i think you know yeah. kind of tired of the kkk backed death threats really at this well point. even if you're not scared of them eventually you just get tired of kicking their ass you know exactly yeah as it gets boring after a while so it's like yeah <laughs> i'm done with that racist death threats bomb threats thing i just like a relaxing time where I can smash people over the head with various weapons and throw myself <laughs> off 25-foot balconies and get paid handsomely for it. Can we do that, please, Paul? Is it, At this point, any idea that New Jack was a wrestler went out the window. He stopped using wrestling moves entirely. Yeah. There were no wrist locks. There were no head locks. There were no suplexes. There were no body slams. He would kick and punch people and then hit them with the most ridiculous weapons you've ever seen in your life. Really dangerous shit as well, which I'll get into now. In ECW, the gangsters, Mustafa Saeed went with him and they were a tag team. Uh, their entrance was Ice Cubes and Dr. Dre's Natural Born Killers, which is the most fitting entrance thing, if you can think about it. Back up in your ass with the resurrection! <laughs> um, it's, um, it's one of the uh, most perfect entrance songs um, ever, but it wasn't an entrance song because they played it on a continuous loop the entire match. So it's hype music. Might, uh, yeah. So <laughs> it might go on for five minutes, might go on for 10 minutes, might go on for 15 minutes. The entire time you're hearing this intense gangster rap anthem. Um, wow. And Jim Cornette says, we always compared it to a fight scene in a movie. 
um, and that New Jack didn't wrestle, he fought. And uh, he was about five or seven years ahead of his time in that respect when wrestling stopped relying on chain maneuvers and moved to like really intense spots, as they're known, like where you would hit someone or someone would jump off something, you know. So he was ahead of his time in that. Um, uh, if, you know, he, he used to hit people with chairs, barbed wire, chairs wrapped in barbed wire, uh, baseball bats, baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire, baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire that were on fire. <laughs> and pretty much anything he could get his hands on. He used to bring a wheelie bin full of random shit with him to the ring, throw it into the ring, and just start hitting people with it. Wow. It's the most intense thing. I know. It, it reminds it, me of playing that backyard wrestling game. That's He might have been in one of those, I think. I think he was uh-huh. on the cover of one of them. So New Jack, I mean, he wasn't the first hardcore wrestler. There have been people who have been doing that for like decades before Terry Funk, Mick Foley, people like that, baseball bats wrapped in chairs. That would have been quite an interesting <laughs> weapon. Um, but yeah, he was certainly the first person to popularize what's known as ultra violence. And this is from him comes people using um, fluorescent light tubes, garden strimmers as weapons. Um, yeah, it's, it's a whole bunch of uh, darkness. I think we've lost Derek again. So. Are you still with me, buddy? I'm still sort of here. I'm You're just, still sort of here. I'm, yeah. I'm just in the dark. That's okay. Um, so I'll continue with this story. Oh. Uh, this is one of the most important parts. Certain matches and promos mark every wrestler's career, but in New Jack's case, there are uh, more like they're more like unsettling incidents with police reports attached to them. In 1996, in a tag team match featuring a 17-year-old wrestler who lied about his age. And his wrestling ability and his training. He hadn't been trained. He told everyone he had, but he hadn't. New Jack um, tagged with uh, Devon Dudley against um, this kid and another wrestler. And it looked like the match looked like a setup from the start because I think they found out that this kid had lied to them because Devon Dudley and the other wrestler jumped out of the ring and New Jack was left alone with this 17 year old wrestler Uh known as Mass Transit, Eric Cullis. Uh, New Jack sliced the 17-year-old's forehead open with a surgical knife, um, hitting an artery in the process, stabbed him multiple times in the forehead and hit him in the head with multiple chair shots and then basically left him for dead in the middle of the ring, covered in his own blood. Um, Sorry, we've lost Derek again. Derek will be back. I I don't want to leave this. New Jack is starting to sound like something out of uh, an SCP. New Jack is a horror character come to life he only gets worse from here so um can i express to you how disturbing this human being is you're back again (laughs) huge yeah that was good um so i I was saying uh new jack sliced open a 17 year old wrestler's forehead with a surgical knife hitting an artery in the process (sighs) Yeah, stabbed him more times, multiple times in the head, smashed him over the head with a chair multiple times, and then left him in the ring for dead. Um, He was covered in his own blood in the middle of the ring. It was a really gruesome sight that looked more like a murder scene than an actual wrestling match. How do you not get in trouble for that? Well, this is the thing. New Jack said on numerous occasions that Cullis, the, the wrestler, Nick Cullis, had asked him, to blade because he was so inexperienced he didn't know how to do it himself 
<clears throat> but the uh, usually when right when people blade, there's a technique to it. You take a razor blade that you would normally shave with, you cut yeah. off a tiny corner of it, you put it in like a tape around. People will tape up their fingers or their wrists or whatever it is, and they'll right. secrete it in there, like kind of under a couple of layers. And then when when they're face down or the camera's not on them, they'll just like do that a couple of times, right? right? Yeah, because they're like sweaty and their the blood's pumping and they might have taken an aspirin usually before the uh the match it'll just bleh, it'll just become <laughs> a crimson mask very quickly you know if you've ever cut yourself shaving oh yeah it's like it's particularly hot that shit never stops so imagine if you slice yourself like maybe an inch twice or something there's a lot of blood uh new jack <laughs> took that to the extreme he used a scalpel to cut this kid open an actual scalpel yeah um, you, then you said you, he stabbed him Stabbed him multiple times as part of the match and then yeah. smashed him over the head with a chair multiple times as part of the match. Wow. Um, New Jack. <laughs> and uh, the match was stopped due to excessive violence and uh, the kid was carted out and taken to hospital. Thank I God. Um, the ECW fans were gr like, because they were quite bloodthirsty. They were notoriously bloodthirsty, but even they were a bit like, oh, Whoa. God. Goodness. Yeah. New Jack, as the match was called off, grabbed the microphone and roared into it, I hope this fat piece of shit bleeds to fucking death, because I don't give a fuck. I'm the wrong N-word to fuck with. Wow. As Cullis was, uh, was go uh, going by mass transit, lay draped in blood and partially unconscious on the mat while his forehead continued to literally gush blood. Um, Cullis would later need 50 stitches to close the cut on his forehead, and uh, he had a horrendous wound that never, ever went away. Nick Cullis, as a result of this, um, ended up committing suicide several years later. Um, as a result of this incident as well, ECW's um, uh, pay-per-view debut, which was supposed to be the month later, was pushed back several months due to the negative press surrounding this incident. Um, costing ECW hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time when they were starting to struggle to pay their talent on time, something that Paul Heyman would become notorious for. Like, there's, there's a whole joke about his checks are made of rubber because it's <laughs> just not worth it. Um, nearly three years later, New Jack was tried on two charges of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon in Suffolk County, Massachusetts. <laughs> in... Uh, in the later trial, so there was a civil trial as well, witnesses said that people in the audience chanted blood, 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 and yelled at Cullis, you fat fuck. So the ECW wow. fans showed up to the trial and berated the uh, the person who was kind of trying to claim incident from this. He wow. sounds like a villain in a Tarantino movie. He is. New Jack is a villain in yeah. every sense of the word. The jury acquitted New Jack. Um, and the Cullis family civil lawsuit was subsequently thrown out, literally because he said it's a wrestling match. Sometimes these things happen in a wrestling match. Yeah, stabbings are just common in wrestling. Uh, yeah, I I have no idea how this excuse. It's because people think, oh, it's wrestling, therefore it's not real. Like people weren't necessarily wise to well, the idea of kayfabe and excessive violence in a wrestling match. Nobody knew what a shoot was, like when a, a match kind of goes off the rails and people start fighting for real. Like, you can tell when something's happened. When someone's getting a beating, right. you can tell, right? It doesn't matter if it's a wrestling match or not. You know when someone's deliberately trying to choke someone out or kill them. Right. Well, right. and the thing is, like, wrestling wrestling being not real is not real in the sense that 
the it's a written it's a story outcome. Yeah. yeah, but it's in this case real in the fact that he cut his face open and stabbed him. Yeah, and he required fifty <laughs> stitches. I don't think I mean Sounds people have real. required stitches after wrestling matches, but fifty. I mean, come on, that's like multiple layers of stitches right there. Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so the jury acquitted him, and uh, he even showed up at the next event with a sign that read "Not Guilty." Uh, placed it on the front of a grocery cart, which he wheeled out, which was crammed with weapons to use during the match. Uh, Just a massive scumbag. New Jack, who uh, has admitted that he was often high on drugs, particularly cocaine during his ECW matches. So he wrestled high. That's another... Yeah, you're not supposed to wrestle impaired. That's like putting somebody else's life at risk. But then again, he was never going to drop anyone on the head because he never picked them up. He just hit them with shit. Yeah, so... And stabbed them. And stabbed them a lot. <laughs> when asked uh, what was going through his head during the match with Cullis, New Jack simply replied, I was high. I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. The fans fucking loved it. I thought it was great. That's that's oh. a direct quote. From this Son guy. of a bitch is a gladiator. He, I don't even know where to start with this. I, I <laughs> It's telling that whenever New Jack has attacked people in a wrestling ring, and I should point this out, he's done it a lot. Uh, so many times that I can't even cover all of them. Like there are random indie shows where like a 19 year old five foot eight inch kid has like, oh, New Jack, can I try a drop toe hold on you? He's like, fuck you. And just starts beating the shit out of him because he's an arsehole. Whenever he's tried this, he's always done it with people he knows he can beat up. He's never, ever done it with anyone he worked with who was dangerous. Brian Pillman, flying Brian Pillman, who was doing a... Uh, uh, he was doing a, ca- a gimmick at the time called the Loose Cannon, where people okay. thought he was genuinely insane. Uh, <laughs> so genuinely gone off the rails, and he might have been. Um, New Jack stayed away from Brian, Brian Pillman because not only did he know that Brian Pillman um, had football background, like he did, he thought he was insane, like New Jack is, uh, but also uh, Brian Pillman was trained by the Hart family in the Hart family dungeon, so he knew how to break people's legs, arms, necks, body. Like Stu Hart was notorious for teaching people how to legitimately hurt each other. What was so, that called? Uh, it's called sh- uh, the Hart family dungeon. It's called shooting and hooking. Okay. So, okay. like, yeah, you think of like a Brock Lesnar type, um, like when people are like, oh, what's this pro wrestler doing in? in fucking UFC. It's like, he was an NCAA two-division champion two years in a row. That kid could hurt people. He'd been trained right. to wrestle and hurt people and submit people hard. So, plus he's like fucking nine foot tall with yeah. 300 pounds, you know? And right. fast as a goddamn whippet, which is fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, so, anyway, after ECW folded in 2001, New, Fa- New Jack found himself without work and completely unemployable with the major promotions, even in Japan, where like death matches are a thing, not death, death, but like right. exploding barbed wire board matches, piranha in a tank match, wrestling ring in the middle of a swimming pool with a timer for a giant explosion matches. <laughs> they're, they're insane <laughs> over in Japan. He couldn't even get hired out there because basically they're like, You got a criminal record, you can't come into Japan, and also you're fucking insane. We don't want you near our wrestlers. Um, so he found himself on the independent circuit charging $1,000 per match, which eh, ain't too bad if you can get the work, but you're going to have to work like 100 matches a year, which given at this point he's in his 40s, needs to That's, start slowing yeah. down. 
but that that wasn't uh, going to happen. Despite many of his former ECW colleagues being hired by WWE, Vince McMahon wouldn't touch him because he was he thought he was genuinely insane. In 2003, um, New Jack decided to make headlines again by shooting on 69-year-old Gypsy Joe Jean Madrid, who at the time didn't look it, but was one of the pioneers of the hardcore style of wrestling. Gypsy Joe's gimmick was that he didn't sell anything, so, like, you punch him and you just keep on walking forwards. He was about five foot eight. It's kind of weird looking, but he was, you know, he was meant to be like a hobo type thing. It was his gimmick. Gotcha. Um, he and uh, basically, New Jack didn't know that and he lost his shit when he saw it happening. On this occasion, it seems like New Jack didn't believe Joe even belonged in the same ring as him when he allegedly told New Jack, I'll teach you how to do hardcore, kid. He's telling a 40 year old man this. Um, in an interview, New Jack described the veteran as a midget with a pink shit-stained tights. Um, <laughs> New Jack has a way with words. I'll give him that. Like some of the things he says are funny, but in like a <laughs> "please don't kill me" kind of way, you know. Um, yeah. I'm known as one of the most hardcore, violent, whatever, whatever, diving off balconies in the history of this business. You got this 97-year-old dude that has been around when gas was 12 cents a gallon and Jesus and Moses were tag-teaming. New Jack continues. <laughs> <laughs> then he thinks he's going to get in the ring and try and handle me, New Jack asserts. I almost killed Gypsy Joe. I got an aluminium baseball bat, wrapped it in barbed wire, and whooped his ass, bro. It's one of the grossest things I've ever seen. Um, the barbed wire comes loose from the bat and oh, literally good. just starts whipping him. Across oh, no. the back, and this is this man's sixty nine years old. New Jacks just batters him with chairs. Uh, he gets entangled in the barbed wire. The chairs get wrapped around his head. It's really disturbing. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm a circle again. I'm just you're a circle away. again. That's okay. <laughs> we, we can still hear you. That's the most yep. important thing. Uh, the audience didn't take kindly to New Jack brutalizing the local hero who was also a well, pensioner. Yeah. <laughs> and according to his account began uh yelling we're gonna hang you n-word we're gonna shoot you n-word and began to throw stuff at him i've seen the video and i don't hear any of that at any point during the match um and i think on that occasion he's lying new jack is oh. a he's a wrestler they tend to embellish at the very least and sometimes outright lie so I don't see it. Um, just a, a point on this. All this stuff I'm talking about, the mass transit stabbing incident, this thing with the 69-year-old pensioner, another story I'm going to go through. You know, you hear about serial killers and violent people, and you like you hear stories about them, and you're like, oh, God, that's terrible. All of this stuff is on video, available on YouTube to this day. That's um, scary, though. Yeah, it's it's not a fun watch. I, I struggled to get through this article because I had to, like try and find footage of some of this and it's just like i mean you're watching a, an old man get attacked by a, an arsehole you know yeah so well the thing that gets me is he's saying he's a 97 year old midget in shit stained <laughs> pink tights but yet he's like let me use an aluminum bat yeah barbed wire this time that's Why? like i'm gonna kill this guy because he's yeah. old and i'm gonna go extra and he nearly did. Um, Gypsy Joe had horrific injuries after that, and uh, New Jack essentially agreed to pay for his medical fees if he didn't press charges. So he got away with it again. Um, a woman hit him with a, her purse while others attempted to secure firearms. 
The police were called and promoter Mike Porter stopped the match for excessive violence, while New Jack, for his safety, had to be taken out uh, riding in the trunk of a friend's car. He had to hide from a mob, basically. I didn't give a fuck. I can't say he doesn't deserve it. No, absolutely not. (laughs) New Jack said in a 2018 interview, I didn't give a fuck uh, if I would have killed him uh, and uh, about the incident with Gypsy Joe. In 2004, in Jacksonville, Florida, specifically the Radisson Riverwalk Hotel was where a very inexperienced youngster called William Hunter Lane, in front of a minuscule crowd of maybe 20 people, learned that New Jack had a short fuse and paid dearly for it. New Jack said that he wasn't even supposed to be on the show, but he was in town helping a friend to get his new promotion off the ground. He also states that Hunter Lane, going by the name Hunter Red, had no concept of the basic terminology anyone in the business would surely be familiar with. Kayfabe, face, heel, meant nothing to the hopelessly green worker. Although New Jack claims that he quit cocaine in 1999, he didn't, um, and didn't have to go uh, into a program to do it, when he described the circumstances around the stabbing of Hunter Lane, yes, he stabbed this kid, uh, New Jack, while rubbing his face and eyes with his hands, woefully said, once again, cocaine played its part in the match. Um, As New Jack describes, Hunter Lane backs me up and punches me in the eye, and the second time he punches me on the nose. He tried to go under me and scoop me up. I hooked him, clenched him in a front face lock, so just grabbed him like that. Uh Um, I went in my pocket, took out my knife, and started stabbing. I forgot this shit was on video again. So oh like, my god i know That's what would have, that was the thing that would have stopped him if he would have yeah. remembered it was on video if he had fact. the foresight to remember that this was being filmed could have been um, helpful if he remembered that it was just a wrestling match yeah it would be helpful that he remembered that you don't just stab people full stop yeah. um yeah he continues <laughs> so everybody got their camera phones and video recorders and they were recording this shit and i'm stabbing this motherfucker nearly lost my goddamn mind uh, New Jack admits that since ECW, he routinely carried a knife in his pocket because of the constant lingering threat of the rowdy ECW fans who were many times, according to him, drunk and would kick uh, would kick them, throw spit on them, all kinds of nasty shit. That's horrible. Uh, New Jack is eager to dis- uh, discredit reports, claiming that he stabbed Lane 16 times, proudly saying, it was nine. I counted, all right? Um, <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. fine then. Who cares? Yeah, it's, yeah it's just it's nine and ten, so yeah. you're all right. Um, <laughs> as long as it's an uh, an uneven number, you know, if it's even, then you know you you you've really messed up. Yeah, because if uh, it had been eight, oh yeah, that's or ten, that, or 10 you know, that's yeah. that would have been too much. New Jack continues. They called the cops, and the guy that called the cops didn't say. I'm a prof- I'm at a professional wrestling match and a guy just got stabbed in the ring. He said, there's a black guy with camo who has a knife and he just stabbed a white guy. So, oh. so New Jack, yeah, he got That's... arrested at gunpoint. Um, it was <laughs> a, a bit much. Um, it isn't easy to understand what's going through New Jack's mind and trying to analyze uh, the rationale for his behavior. Case in point. When asked uh, what went through his mind while stabbing Lane, he simply answers with a straight face, kill him. I was trying to kill him. Um, I wasn't thinking about going to jail, New Jack continued. I was thinking about killing this motherfucker. New Jack defends his actions by saying that Lane wanted to be cut. This old excuse again. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, he wanted a brutal match, but they, the media, uh, made it sound like I cut the motherfucker in the parking lot. 
They made me sound like Jeffrey Dahmer. No, New Jack, you make yourself sound like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> wow. Dude, yeah. you stabbed him nine times. Nine times. I admitted to nine times. I think it's probably higher than that, but he's trying to keep it to single figures. Right, you know? but then if you're... Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, I wanted to kill the motherfucker. Yeah, just, and just you say it. that on record. On How are record. You not attempted murder like basically yeah oh there's more there's okay. so much more um duval <laughs> county assistant state attorney robert Lipple, uh lippleman wanted to put new jack in prison for 15 years yes please do for aggravated battery calling the stabbing one of the most egregiously violent things i've ever seen to any reasonable person it's offensively violent yeah and it's available on youtube it's really gross uh, when interviewing New Jack, Brian Reznor of Royal Rumble left no room for misinterpretation when trying to get into New Jack's thought processes during all this by saying, so this is the second time in wrestling, at least, that basically you think that you're killing a human being and you're okay, completely okay with it. With an eerie calmness and unflinching nerves, New Jack answers, yeah. Okay. He's a psychopath. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. He's a psychopath. It's He's admitted to wanting to kill two people now well and i'm gonna say that the people the jury that let him off afraid yeah. of him or whatever it may mm. have been are now responsible for another stabbing in a way i know like that I... he should have been put away we just left him sure. keep running around i know and uh <laughs> it's about to get worse amazingly oh. um so i also should point this out a lot of the time um when you see interviews with new jack not when he's like oh i wanted him to die when you see like normal conversations with new jack he is surprisingly charming and uh, i think the problem is, is that he's so convincing as a charming oh you know he's he's actually really eloquent with his words he's he seems like a nice guy he could be my friend no this guy will stab you and he will try and get away with it by saying that you wanted it basically yeah. <laughs> Uh, Good. So perhaps Brief. trying to take the edge off the seriousness of the matter, New Jack then responds uh, uh, basically by saying, yeah, I told you, cocaine is a hell of a drug. He actually did the quote. Ah, he stole it. Snaked it from Rick James. He did, and he is he is a very dangerous version of Rick James, definitely at this point. The crowd attending the interview session proceeded to chuckle uncomfortably. I would too if I felt like I might not make it out of the room. The police arrived and drew their guns at the show, ordering New Jack to get on the ground and drop his knife. Even though Lena take at the brunt of the damage, New Jack had lacerated his arm during the butchering, so both were taken to hospital. Their lane was a couple of beds down from where New Jack was being treated, and he'd yell, asking, New Jack, you're right. Uh, what? To which a surprise New Jack would respond, Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> He's just checking in on him. Hey, hey yeah. You stab me, all right? Yeah. In all this, the <laughs> medic was running around and wondering what an odd situation it was. Someone had gotten stabbed nine times, was concerned over the well being of his assailant. The incredulous medic told New Jack, you stabbed this guy uh, damn near to death. What? And he's asking if you're all right. New Jack looked at the doctor and could only calmly say, it's wrestling. You wouldn't understand. You would have to see what we do. He's already building up his defense. I guess. I, I yeah. just, I never got that into wrestling. I don't understand, like, how that would be. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. you'd even want to watch some of that sometimes. Uh, nobody wants to watch that. 
um the hardcore stuff has its like has its moments where it's interesting but it gets old quickly and the reason people wanted to watch new jack before all of this shit was because he felt real and that's because he was he was the character he portrayed on screen and people always thought like is he real he's probably just wrestler playing up to it no he was absolutely 100% real uh, really? And that was the draw with New Jack was that you were like, it was the Howard Stern thing. You had right. to watch because you didn't know what was going to happen next. Apparently what was going to happen next is almost always stabbing. So, <laughs> so he does have a theme. He does have He's a on theme. brand. Yes. New Jack spent three weeks <clears throat> in the slammer and appeared in court, but the charges were dropped. And in the end, he was out $8,000 on bail and attorney fees and medical fees. Uh, sources on this differ, but New Jack claims that he, uh, that, he he dropped the charges, or the jar, the charges were dropped in exchange for him training Lane. Lane's idea was to work all over Florida under the premise that he was trying to exact revenge on New Jack for doing what he'd done. New Jack agreed to this as long as the case got dropped, but left Florida as soon as he could and didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So he fled. Yeah. As uh, soon as the case was done, he was like, fuck you, I'm gone. Oh, man. Yeah. Interesting enough, two weeks after walking out of jail, New Jack's face was on the cover of the new video game, Backyard Wrestling 2. There goes uh -huh. the neighborhood. Ah, there you go. For the PS2 and Xbox home consoles, where he constantly mutters, not guilty. So, oh, really? I gotta go nice. look through my games and see if that's the one I have. If it's still there, he's on the cover and you'll see his ridiculous forehead there as well. Uh, <laughs> the violence, ferocious interviews, weapons and balcony dives made New Jack a sensation in a company full of extremes as part of New Jack's repertoire uh, was diving 20 to 30 feet off balconies and lighting towers onto his opponents even for non-televised matches just in front of like four or five hundred people or something his record jump is 34 feet but his legs snapped like a dry twig when he <sighs> landed <sighs> i know <laughs> horrible the danbury fall as it has come to be known occurred during ecw's living dangerously pay-per-view aptly named on march the 12th 2000 it saw both New Jack and a uh, very young Vic Grimes teetering on the top of a scaffold where both were supposed to take the perilous fall together and land onto strategically placed tables. I say tables, there's like one, basically, on the concrete floor below. Oh. Instead, uh, Vic Grimes, who's a big guy, got cold feet, which led to a disastrous bump where New Jack basically falls, drags Vic Grimes down with him, um, and according to New Jack, the plan was to leap off the scaffold and take a double bump onto the table, but subsequently they were both carried out on stretches. New this is how New Jack tells it. When it was time to go, he said, Jack, I can't do it. I'm scared. It's too high. The conversation taking place 20 feet in the air on the pay-per-view. I told him, Vic, on three. One, two, three. So I pulled him, and he pulled back. Oops. In one of the worst bumps you'll ever see, still to this day, both men were falling completely missed the flimsy table that was supposed to break their fall. Grimes is now above New Jack. They're falling like this uh -huh. and Grimes is behind him. He flipped over in the air. So instead of going face first, which New Jack was doing, he was now going like arse first like this. Oh no. And he landed on New Jack's head, oh. which smacked sickeningly onto the concrete. I slammed my head on the floor and cracked my skull. 
I had brain fluid coming out of my nose and ears, and I had ner nerve damage in my right eye, laments New Jack. He adds, I will never be able to see out of my right eye again in my life. Wow. He continues, that night changed me. It took a lot out of me. I've never been the same since. I get headaches. It's also affected my short-term memory. My eyes get bloodshot for no reason. I go for three or four days with no sleep. But hey, that's part of New Jack. Um, I mean... I guess I, that... can't, I, I don't feel sorry for him, though. No, I don't either. Uh, fuck him, actually. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Vic Grimes did the world a favor. Vic Grimes, who at the time was considerably less experienced than New Jack, has said that uh, to say several years later, honestly, the only guy I say that I got hurt with me in the ring was New Jack on the pay-per-view. It was the first and only time in my career I've had that, and I've done some crazy shit. Because of the injuries, New Jack was out for over a year with his career hanging in the balance. He says Vic Grimes, who he feels was fully responsible for his injuries. I mean, yeah, uh, never called him to see if he was recuperating well or not. When New Jack returned to ECW, he walked straight into the locker room in Buffalo, New York, and in front of everybody, punched Vic Grimes in the face, right in the eye. Um, oh. Eventually, with the tension between the two, um, refusing to... Um, Sorry, sorry. With the tension between the two and Vic Grimes refusing to be close to him, Grimes left ECW, basically afraid for his life. But after the company folded in early 2001, they faced each other again in the Los Angeles-based Extreme Pro Wrestling, which was like a, it was a pretender. Basically, it was a knockoff, more or less. Okay. And this time, New Jack may have outdone himself. This is where things get really disturbing, uh, if they weren't already. On February the 23rd. 2002 at xpw's freefall pay-per-view new jack exacted revenge on vic grimes all the while feigning friendship with him beforehand and assuring him that both uh, him and owner of the company rob black that um that what had happened in ecw was all in the past besides them giving me a paycheck the only reason i went to xpw is because i was going to get vic's ass back sooner or later vic, uh, new jack said the incident occurred during a scaffolding match where beforehand new jack's claims that he told xpw management that no matter what they decided was going to happen in the match grimes would be thrown off the scaffolding and not him unbeknownst to grimes jack had a serious revenge on his mind and uh, was not there just to work. Going over the match in the back, I told him I was going to work stiff, so uh, he had to bring it, New Jack says, once again reassuring him that the events of ECW's Living Dangerously were forgiven. It started when New Jack used a weapon uh, a fan brought, which was, a barb which was barbed wire that sprouted into uh, like a horse tail, like a whip kind of thing, okay. that he just started whipping Vic oh. Grimes with. Uh, the always enterprising New Jack stopped at a pawn shop before the match and picked up a 50,000 volt stun gun that he didn't tell anybody about. Oh, um, he proceeded to shock Vic Grimes with when they told on they stood on top of the scaffold. Now, typically in scaffolding matches, these are boring ass matches because both people are terrified of falling off. They're usually 24 off the ring. And what will happen is at a certain point in the match, the person who's going to lose the match will pretend to like fall off the side and cling on so they're uh -huh. like dangling so they've like shortened the distance by about you know six feet so it's only like a 12 to 14 foot drop <laughs> still um, <laughs> it's still a ways to go and uh and then they sort of dangle and then they drop down 
uh, to their feet and crumple. So it's, it's reasonably safe. This scaffolding match was the scaffolding was forty foot off the ground. Okay, um, extreme, extreme, <laughs> and they had filled the ring with tables, which was smart because the, the, there was one table and then they put uh, another one on top. So it was just filled with a double layer of tables, which meant you could fall through these and they would quite easily break your fall, which at 40 foot you would need to do. And also the ring um, had the springs loosened, so it had even more give in it than the normal. So there was, okay. a, there was a bit of bounce. So actually it was reasonably safe as you can get with 40 foot. The thing is, Vic Grimes was never going to dangle off the edge. He was going to be thrown from this. That was the agreement. Which will get you maybe extra height. Yeah, and distance is the <sighs> important thing. New Jack says uh, this was a shoot and nobody had planned to use the stun gun during the match. Just imagine Vic Grimes' surprise when he's being shocked for like 10 <laughs> seconds with this fucking thing. Ouch. I then picked him up and Vic told me, I ain't ready. I can't feel my legs. Don't worry, I said. You won't need them. Grimes. <laughs> wow. I know. Grimes was then tossed off the 40-foot scaffolding like a rag doll. He did a full flip in the air, somehow missed 12 tables and only grazed two. He then hit the top rope with his back where his body velocity caused him to bounce back into the ring in one of the most jaw-dropping bumps in wrestling history. They had this ring filled with about 30 tables. Only about four of them broke because he nearly cleared the ring. Oh, and no. this is where yeah. it gets really dark. Um, the shocked XBW crowd was yelling bloody murder, but it got a huge pop to end the show. Vic Grimes was taken out in ambulance and remarkably only suffered minor injuries, including uh, bruises and a slightly injured shoulder, considering the uh, horrendous fall he took. After a while, people were attending to Grimes. New Jack got near him and told him in his ear, now we're even, motherfucker. Eh, wow. What? To be fair, he was way worse hurt. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true, actually. Uh, in the 2005 ECW documentary Forever Hardcore, New Jack says that the scaffolding had been moved back five to six feet. And he intended for Vic Grimes to land headfirst on one of the ring posts, affirming, I wanted him to die. I have no love for Vic, none, because he's a fucking idiot. He adds, that was a cash receipt paycheck the paper the ink the money up under the drawer it was all of it haha <laughs> we're going to come to wow. the end of the story now uh at the point at which um i just wanted to point out the rest of the stuff that new jack's done like i said before regularly shot on independent wrestlers so he would just like potato and just punch him in the ring because they were smaller than him he deliberately cracked a uh, uh, wrestler's skull with a chair shot, he wasn't happy with the way he was working, so he just broke the chair over his head. Um, and he was such a scumbag that when his uh, son decided to come out and become a professional drag queen, uh, queen, he disowned him. Oh, so, well, I mean, he's a dick. So He's an awful, awful human being. Yeah. On the afternoon of the 14th of May, 2021, Jerome New Jack Young passed away following a heart attack in North Carolina, where he had been living in recent years. He was 58 years old. Consistently controversial until the end, his final tweets were about mass transit. He wrote, yeah, I did it. And like OJ, I got away with it. And his final ever tweet, he wrote, I don't feel bad at all. 
He died years later because he ate himself to death. He also asked me to cut him, so I did. That was his last ever tweet. He was a wow. scumbag till the end. Yeah. So he kind of got off early too. He didn't even have to live to sixty-seven and be beaten with a barbed wire aluminum bat. I know. I know. Oh my god. Um. So this was a hard one for me to write. I'm a wrestling fan. I love writing stories like this. But New Jack is. I mean, I don't believe in words like evil, really. But New Jack, I believe in the word scumbag, as you can tell. <laughs> and I genuinely think New Jack is one of the worst people we've ever featured in terms of just who he was as a person on this podcast. There are some people that say he was quite nice to them, but like the majority of people were like, yeah, he was a horrible human being to be around. Well, so the, the difference between he was quite nice to him and the horrible human being is yeah. the, didn't stab the, him. You accidentally do one thing wrong and he's no longer the nice person. Exactly. He has no fuse. It's already gone. So I have to ask what you think of Jerome Young, a.k.a. New Jack. Well, his his heartlessness and the fact yeah. that like, he admits that he stabbed people and then, well, they asked for it. Like <laughs> the, you're you're not wrong in the scumbag. Yeah. Evil is is God, he's just super traumatized from the stabbing early yeah. on. And I think that's mm -hmm. it how old was was he then? He was five. Yeah. So that's probably one of his earliest memories is stabbing. Yeah. And so yeah. that's just what you do, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And shoot people in the leg as well, which um Well, hey, you know. He didn't at least shoot anybody, right? No, amazingly. Yeah. Not that we know of. God, he killed four people by stabbing. He four people by stabbing them cornered. to death at that the same a, time. That's a uh, bad dude. Yeah, that is a scary... I mean, we talk, we were talking about a pimp earlier, and then pimps are pretty scary people for the most part, but New Jack was next level. Like, you just wouldn't want to spend time with him, really, because yeah. he might kill you. So. And just... I don't know. Like, I feel like I've been around um, mm. folks similar to him. And because yeah. of that, he didn't kill anybody, re really. Well, I mean, it was justifiable homicide, so it was self-defense. Yeah. So, but, like, did you have to kill them? Could you not have, like, like hurt yeah. one of them and then made the other three run away? <laughs> you know? Yeah. He like, beat the shit out of one guy, then the others back off, right? That's the rule. But, no, he just stabbed all of them. Yeah, well, so I guess he did. He's killed people, and then he tried to kill people, <laughs> and he wanted. I think the fact that he wanted to, mm. like, in advance, thought about yeah. it. I want to kill that person, and he planned yeah. it out so much that he found a way onto a program to get the match, mm -hmm. and then faked friendship to try and kill yeah. him. Like that's a lot of premeditation and and yeah. bad. And, and he for has that absolutely no remorse either like he's boasting about it years later for absolutely no financial gain like he's not getting much money out of these interviews yeah just because yeah. um yeah i'm gonna put him at a 97 <laughs> <laughs> that bothers me uh yeah it bothers me too and i feel like in any other industry in any other part of the world if he hadn't been in wrestling or something as carny as wrestling he would have been in prison for a very long time. Yeah. And we wouldn't even be covering this guy because the law would have taken care of him. But because he had the cover of, oh, it was in a wrestling ring. Right. Uh, well, imagine Charles Bronson was a wrestler. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 
if he had been a wrestler, he probably would have gotten away with it, to be quite frank. Um, I will take a very high 97 for New Jack. I uh, I had a lot of time. It, it was funny because there were actually a couple of other people I was thinking. Um, they One of them may come up in the future, um, but um, New Jack is... Um, there have been weird people in wrestling. There have been scary people in wrestling. There have been odd people in wrestling. He is probably one of the uh, scariest people in wrestling history. Possibly one of the scariest people in what you would consider an entertainment form ever. Um, I can't think of too many people in the world of acting or drama or music, maybe music. Cause there are some fucking I mean, crazy yeah. people in music, but like, I don't ever think I've, I would be in a room with any specific musician and be worried about being stabbed. I would with new Jack, if I said the wrong thing. Right. So. If he thought you might be a threat and he could take you. Yeah. He'd just stab you. Toast. Toast. Beat you up. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, thank you. That was um, so. We got an eighty-three for the pimp who crossed Alaska, and a ninety-seven for the uh, scariest wrestler of all time, Jerome New Jack Young. Um, I, I yeah, I, I I I don't think I enjoyed research. This is one of the few ones where I was like, I was writing it out, and like it's kind of one of those stories where I was like, I have to be careful how I tell this because it could get censored. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to tell it because I felt like if and this is the way my wife was like, how is he an idiot? He's just a psychopath. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, New Jack was very popular as a wrestler for years. He was one of the most popular people in ECW to fight the fact, despite the fact he couldn't wrestle or just chose not to. Well, if he had not stabbed people and maybe toned his act down a little bit. He would have made a lot of money. He would have, because he was completely believable. He could have gone to the WWE. He could have made millions of dollars through merchandise, through wrestling all over the world, through this and that. Uh, the Sandman, who was also in ECW, who had a Singapore cane and who would actually drink before, during, and after matches in ECW and <laughs> smoked, came out to enter Sandman by Metallica. He was also over. He was also quite extreme. Also not a particularly good wrestler, better than you, Jack, but still. Um, he went to WCW and WWE, despite his act being quite extreme. And he made enough money that he never really has to work again. You know, he sold his merchandise. He was very popular with a certain group of people. He hung around for a few years, made several hundred thousand dollars per year. You know, we was with these organizations and now he's a happily semi-retired guy. But New Jack just couldn't tone it down enough to earn money. He just had to be New Jack all the time. And unfortunately, that person is a very violent and unhinged person and not a safe person to have around. So and I think that's yeah. one of the most dangerous things ever. Yeah. Is that you blur you're blurring this line between entertainment and fact mm -hmm. and and with the extreme wrestling being it's it's fact but not real but it's real and then you blur that line too much and like you said he's this guy and he had mm. to dial it back to play his character exactly because he yeah. he he had to like he couldn't talk about cocaine while he was on air so he would like wouldn't mention cocaine he start he didn't swear as much in the interviews and he didn't threaten to kill people as much as he did backstage which he did constantly so yeah, so he did have to dial it down. I I just I couldn't believe it. For any of those, and I really don't recommend it, but for any of you out there who are interested in seeing like promos of New Jack, because he was quite a good promo guy, 
and some of the more shocking incidents I've covered in this. There is the if you type in New Jack Tribute on YouTube, the first video that comes up which says New Jack Tribute and it has like in brackets uh, graphic warning or something like that. If you want to watch that, um, that's where you will find every single incident I've covered in this video and a bunch of other stuff that is just New Jack being a psychopath. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you are someone who's into horror movies and you're like, oh, this is basically <laughs> a horror movie because it is, it's a real life slasher, it, it's then a go snuff ahead. Film, man. It's basically a snuff film where no one dies, but people end up in hospital and somehow this guy's still a free man. So yeah, um, Derek, let, let, get, getting back to your guy, who is much more kind of lighthearted if there is such a thing. Um, <laughs> how did you find researching him? Did you know about him before the episode? Um, I wandered across an article that was talking about a pimp who wanted to blow up uh, Cintrone track trucks. And then I wanted, I stumbled onto like a cracked article about uh, the Alaskan wow. journey and the champagne uh, safari. Yes. And then I'm like, okay, well, I got to find out more. And then I was like, oh, this guy is a dick. He screwed up <laughs> uh, craftsmanship and, and yeah. made working suck on top yeah. of pimp and sucking at safaris or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, that's, it is really interesting when you find these people. I have to admit that actually, a couple of my people have come from Cracked. So um, thank you, Cracked, for writing about these really interesting people. Um, throughout history. I, Andrew Jackson, a lot of the information I got about Andrew Jackson came from a couple of Cracked articles. So, so yeah, um, I'm really pleased that you you had a lot of uh, fun researching and learning about this guy because he is a really interesting character with so many facets to him, even though he is basically a scumbag. I um, also, I, I enjoy researching wrestling history for certain aspects, but researching New Jack was quite difficult, so I might go with a lighter topic next time. But um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun. Um, we will be back in two weeks' time with more idiots for you to uh, learn lessons from. And the lesson from this one is please don't exploit your workers and also don't stab people. Jeez, is that <laughs> a lesson people need to learn? Didn't uh, know you weren't supposed to do that. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Of course. Sorry, buddy. Come on up, you get. Um, yeah, so um, I think that's the lesson for this one. It's just like stick with the really obvious stuff. Um, thank you so much to everybody. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks' time. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can go and find us at History's Greatest Idiots on Twitter. We are at Greatest Idiots. We are on um, YouTube if you just search for History's Greatest Idiots. And if you go to patreon.com slash History's Greatest Idiots, you can be our first ever Patreon. Please do that. It'd be great. Um, so until <laughs> next time, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks' time. Take care now. Bye. <laughs>